Welcome back to Second and Short. It is Wednesday, March 1st, 2023, and let's be honest, college football is falling apart right now. But first, before we talk about everything, I got to remind y'all, make sure you're following us on all of the social media accounts. Of course, uh, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, give us five stars and give us a follow. Uh, if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. And then uh, also, make sure you join the subreddit r slash second to nd and a nd short on reddit uh we're gonna be i'm gonna try and put a lot more effort into that uh getting things posted trying to put some news on there try to put some topics on there things we want uh to hear from you guys and yeah let's go through what we're gonna be talking about today so of course got to talk about all the news in college football and then getting some nfl news a little bit of stuff's happened you know pre-combine Free free agency type things. And then we'll talk a little bit about college baseball. The new top 25 comes out every Monday. And then we'll hit stake your claim. We'll get out of here. Doing a little bit of a short one. It's a little bit late already. Brock. College football is falling yeah. apart. It is. Yeah, it sounds about like that every year, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. But for some reason, on you know, just a random weekend in February. Everything seems to go awry, and it all starts with the Pac-12. <laughs> of course it does. So the Pac-12 and their commissioner, George Kle- – okay, I can't say his name. Kleovkov, I think that's how you say it. Uh, they've been hunting down a new media deal as the conference enters the final football season of its current deal. So far, haven't found a deal yet. And to make things worse, the Big 12 has a huge deal right now that's uh, going to pay conference members $31.7 million annually moving forward. That is more than what the SEC is at right now. Yeah, you know Texas and Oklahoma are pissed about that. Uh, they'll be all right. Uh, SEC gets <laughs> to negotiate pretty soon. Yeah. But not only does the Pac-12 not have a deal, but now the Big 12 is kind of their rival now. With, you know, the teams that are leaving and USC and UCLA leaving, you know, the Pac-12 doesn't have all that much. It's pretty top-heavy, similar to how the Big 12 is going to be when Texas and Oklahoma leave. But thing is, is Big 12's got money, they've got media rights, and they've got stability compared to what the Pac-12 has going on. Pac-12 hasn't received an offer from Apple TV, which some people were rumored to say was happening. They're super far apart in negotiations with Amazon for a possible one. And so right now, the leader in the bidding for the Pac-12's media rights is Ion Television. <laughs> yeah. So oh, they're, that's... <laughs> they're owned by, uh, I think it's called like Scripps Broadcasting, uh, and they recently acquired Scripps Sports, and that is where the Pac-12 would be shown if they cannot find a better deal. Uh, by probably around mid-April is what they're saying. That is hilarious. Yeah. So I I couldn't even tell you what comes on ION anymore. Uh, the only thing I know on the ION is they have a lot of good re- repeat shows like Sykes on there. Yeah. Yeah, they always do show like those like, I guess like the like early 2010 sitcoms show on ION. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be the that is- perfect thing to watch before the Pac-12 games start, and then at 3 in the morning when they're over. 
You watch Psych. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. I can, that that is quite possibly the funniest thing I've heard today. Yeah, it, it is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and there's a few more things to say with it. Uh, I did see something pretty funny regarding, you know, maybe who should buy the Pac-12's media rights. And um, this guy proposed this on Reddit. He said that the Longhorn Network, as in Texas's sports network, should buy the Pac-12's media rights because when Texas moves to the SEC, they can't have the Longhorn Network anymore. They'll have yeah. exclusive media rights with ABC and ESPN. And um, so it would be absolutely hilarious to see the Pac-12 playing on the Longhorn Network. That actually would make a lot of sense, especially since Texas won't be able to be shown on there anymore. That would make sense for them, you know, rebrand or whatever and take out, well, I don't know how TV and all that works, but start aiming towards the West Coast. But that is just so funny. Eye on TV. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. And right now it looks like, you know, if they can't get a media deal, then these schools are going to start jumping ship. And then the Pac-12 is really fucked. Um, yeah, yeah, I think – I ahead. mean, sorry. I was just like the biggest thing for them is that they're letting uh, USC and UCLA go. I mean, that's probably two of the bigger – the biggest – you know, fan bases. I, I would, I would imagine in the in Pac-12. I understand Oregon and Washington State and them. I'm sure they have pretty good fans or whatever. But I feel like USC, especially USC, gets the most of the Pac-12. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Uh, like viewership wise, when it comes to like the actual, you know, fans in the stadium, those two schools don't really do a great job. But uh, they get eyes, and that's the biggest thing for media rights. Uh, and, and that's huge in negotiations. You're missing out on a ton of revenue if you buy the media rights for the Pac-12 and there's no UCLA or USC. And now it's getting to the point where there's a couple other schools that might leave. Uh, Greg Sankey, the uh, commissioner of the SEC, uh, spoke about realignment and the possibility of the SEC snatching up some Big 12 teams. And um, he said, we haven't really expanded our geographic reach. Uh, he said, our longest trip will be from Columbia, South Carolina, to Austin, Texas. And that's shorter than the shortest trip for the L.A. schools. Yeah, Columbia, South Carolina, to Austin, Texas, the longest as the crow flies in the SEC. That's the longest road. But from, I, I guess it'd be USC, or, you know, both of them are pretty close to each other. So whatever, whichever L.A. school to, uh, I believe the University of Wisconsin is the westernmost school in the big 12 is that trip is longer than Columbia to Austin. UCLA were joining the big 10. Oh, did I say big 12? Yeah. Yeah. Big 10. And my bad. Yeah. And like I mean, the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, going from USC, UCLA all the way to Rutgers. Like, Hey man, there's nothing better than a, a Tuesday night college softball game between USC in Rutgers in Piscataway, New Jersey. Yeah, that's just doing nothing really good for the. I, <laughs> I don't understand why they. I, I understand why because the money wise, you're going to be making way more money. But that is so stupid for their players because that's going to affect them in so many aspects. Yeah. They're going to be missing so much school because at the end of the day, you go to college for school. Yep. You're a student athlete for a reason. 
And the the biggest thing is like when it comes to the you know not just football in other sports it's way worse because you know football you play you know once a week and you, you get a buy uh you know one time there in in college basketball you're playing every couple of days college baseball is the same way it's really going to affect these athletes when you've got to travel across every time zone to get to an away game and then the the next day or that night of you fly back yeah that <clears throat> That is going to take a toll on the body. And on top of it, there's no way they're, especially the UCLA schools, with having to travel as much as they're going to have to, uh, that's not going to uh, be good on their teams at all because they're going to be so jet-lagged. Because, yeah. again, they'll be traveling over four time zones for, like, a one-day game. Yeah, it's it's going to be horrible, I think. And I'm sure, you know, they don't care because they're getting so much more money joining the Big Ten, but it's like, you know, at this point, the Pac-12 is really getting screwed because when you look at how, you know, um, everything's going to kind of stack up, the Big Ten is going to be partnered with Fox, CBS, and NBC, and that's that deal starts this summer. Uh, NBC also remains in business with Notre Dame. The SEC is in its final year with CBS, and it's already hitched exclusively to ABC and ESPN starting in 2024. The Big 12 struck a huge deal with ESPN and Fox, and so, and then the ACC will remain in their deal with ABC and ESPN. Who does that leave the Pac-12 for? Because Fox, CBS, and NBC have all of their eggs in the basket, and we know ABC and ESPN are putting a ton of money into the SEC and a pretty good deal of money into the ACC. It does really screw over the Pac-12 right now. Yeah, and uh, especially you think like West Coast, like you would really think Amazon and Apple and those those people would really be going for it, you know? Because that just kind of, that would just make for me that just in my mind makes sense. Yeah, the the problem I see with that with Amazon and Apple is that. They're both exclusive streaming services. They're not like they don't have a cable network. Um, so like what most people thought might happen with like Amazon would be like a featured Friday night football game. But like that's not going to pay enough money for you to, you know, kind of spread your media rights apart uh, across different networks. Yeah, I really like you said, there's nothing for them that could that would really make sense. I'm trying to think of any other network but I mean there are they're all being used. Yeah, it's an interesting situation here with the Pac-12. Um Give them sports. Yeah. <laughs> and now it looks like possibly Oregon and Washington would be the next ones to walk. Uh people Where are would saying they go? people are saying they'd go to the Big 12 to replace Oklahoma and Texas. Because supposedly the Big 12 is trying to become like a huge conference, like team wise. Mm -hmm. And so they're losing two, but they already brought in what four this, like, yeah, for this coming season. So they've already gone up four. They're going to lose so two. Like 14, oh, by the way. Yeah. And then they're going to bring in two more as soon as Oklahoma and Texas leave if they can get Oregon and Washington, which once again, geographically, doesn't make a ton of sense much better than what the big Ten's doing regardless it's still not great when you know what 
what team just got into the Big Twelve? Uh, didn't did UCF join the Big Twelve? Is that right? Big Twelve got UCF, Houston, um, Cincinnati, and BYU. And BYU, yeah. Yeah. So that means that if they added Washington and Oregon, Washington has a chance to fly to UCF for an away game. Yeah, that again does not make any sense to me. Yeah. Cuz like you said, a Monday night, Tuesday night softball game, the Washington girls are going to fly from Washington, Spokane or wherever it is, wherever they are. Yeah, I think they're all the way to Orlando, Florida. Yeah. <laughs> it is bad. Four, that is four time zones, one corner of the country to another. I I just that's just so dumb. Yeah. And I know money or whatever, but at what point are you just like this is very this is going to be so taxing on my student athletes and coaches and family and all that that we shouldn't do this. Yeah. And just to kind of top it all off, uh, a very obvious change here. Pac twelve media day uh for this coming fall was moved from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. Makes <laughs> sense. Not much so, to do in LA anymore for the Pac twelve. Is there is the Pac twelve looking to take anybody? You know, uh, S- uh, San Diego State or uh, Las Vegas? Any any team the Pac twelve is looking at taking up? I don't know. Uh, I think that there is probably a few schools that are maybe worthy of it. You could pick up like a Boise State. I think Boise State deserves their shot in the Power Five. Um, yeah, San Diego State would be another one. There's a few other teams out there in the West that could possibly make it into the Pac-12, but I think first, if you're a team, even if like you know you want to get into the Pac-12, you'd like to see where these media rights negotiations are going first because you might find yourself on Ion before you know it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I just imagine, I mean, I, I don't blame the people at Big Ten or the people of, Fox wanting to take over the Big Ten because that's way big. You get way more viewers from Ohio State and Michigan than you probably do any other SEC or any other Pac-12 game. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a huge move. I I just I want to see people just stay geographically because that makes the most sense to me. Yeah, I I think it does too. I don't know why we've moved away from that, like. It seemed like there was no problems with it until, well, I guess UCLA-USC was the first one, and then that was followed by Texas and Oklahoma. But at least Texas and Oklahoma are still, like, pretty much in the South. It's not the Southeastern Conference anymore, you know, uh, geographically, but it's still the South. The Big Ten is the Midwest and, and, you know, a little bit of, like, the Northeast, if you will, but... You just picked up two teams in Los Angeles. Yeah, no, I, and the ACC, Atlantic Coast. All of the ACC teams border the coast of the Atlantic. Yeah, and again, like you saying, Pac-12, the same thing, but on the opposite side. I, I don't get it. Doesn't make sense to me. I understand money makes it, it. Money makes the world go around, apparently, but I don't think this is. This does not do anything good for the players. Yeah, I. Completely agree. Well, let's talk about the ACC because it's also seeming to fall apart. 
So my Florida State Seminoles, I think it's a fantastic idea, whatever. Florida State Athletic Director Director Michael Alford uh, kind of talked about some new revenue distribution for the ACC because it's gotten a little bit top-heavy. So he said that the Seminoles contribute roughly 15% of ACC's media rights value, and they only get 7% of the distributions. Alford said, at the end of the day, if something's not done, we cannot be $30 million behind every year compared to our peers, meaning, you know, the SEC teams, things like that. The teams that Florida State on just a, a media value level competes with. They compete with the top teams in the nation when it comes to viewership and fan interaction and just overall like national nationwide viewership. They compete with the best in the country and they're not being compensated properly for it by the ACC. Yeah, and uh, I mean, they, they're not only, the thing for them is they're not only good in football, they are good in most all sports, baseball, baseball, basketball, girls softball, all the sports. Same with Miami down in Florida, uh, down in, down there. They, I'm sure they contribute a lot as well, and they're not getting, uh, I'm, I would imagine it's the same thing, but uh, yeah, that is, I, again, I understand money makes the world go around, but if they leave, where are they going to go? I'm sure the SEC would love to take them, but would we? Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, I, I don't know. And there's so much like uncertainty with things like this. But uh, let me continue kind of laying out a little bit more of this. So Florida State's Board of Trustees asked about a buyout to leave the ACC. Their legal counsel says it's roughly $120 million. Um, he said, so if we make up 30% or 30 million, we're behind from our, te- or our peers. We'd break even in roughly four years uh, if they continue to make thirty million, you know, hypothetically, uh, Alfred or um, Michael Alfred continued saying, uh, at the end of the day, for Florida State to compete nationally, something has to change going forward. Um, the key thing, obviously, being rev- uh, revenue distribution, which I, I I completely agree with him. I think that it's important that the top programs in the nation are properly compensated. Yeah, I I mean. Is if you do the work, you get paid, you know, and that's I think everybody can agree on that. I mean, that's how it works in the SEC. I'm sure Alabama they tend they probably make you know most of the money, uh, they probably make the most. So, like, they, they I, I believe definitely if you do the work and you are the premier, especially like for like said, the ACC, you're the premier team, you should be compensated for it. Yeah, and Florida State's president Richard McCullough seems to. I don't know. He's kind of floating in the middle, but uh, he compared this whole situation to watching an airplane crash into a train wreck. Yeah. Um, just to go out to the pack, to, uh, to just kind of put it all together. It's like, it's uh, when I say it's not good for the players and that would be for Florida state and Clemson as well. Cause uh, I actually don't know if Clemson's in there, but like I, I just tend to put them together if they want to leave the ACC and then the same with the USC and UCLA. When I say it's not good for the players, I mean it's going to put them at a disadvantage to winning conference championships, going undefeated, doing all those other things too, you know? But at the same time, like you're still getting the same national attention, possibly on a bigger scale because maybe there's more scouts from the NFL going to an Ohio State home game 
than, you know, a Utah home game or an Arizona home game where USC is the visitor. So Mm -hmm. in the same way, it kind of, when it comes to like your continued success after college, you're still going to get eyes, possibly even more, but on top of it, your program's getting more funding. True. Yeah. But you were completely right with saying that Clemson uh, is grouped in with this because they're also pissed off about the unequal or the equal distribution in the ACC. Um, They said that because they've become a a bigger brand name school, why would they be satisfied with their financial position in the conference? So when asked if unequal distribution was a want or a need, Clemson athletic director Graham Neff chose the stronger of two words, obviously saying it's a need. Uh, Neff said in an interview, uh, we certainly recognize the investment that we've continued to make as an institution in our community and athletics, namely in football, which certainly drives a lot of value. That is important from a television and revenue generation standpoint. Is it time revenue distribution within conferences or at least the ACC is done differently? Yes, I've been very active in those conversations within the league and continue to expect to take a leadership role in our desire for that to be a change circumstance urgently. So, yeah, it seems like Clemson wants to join the boat, which I think that Florida State and Clemson would work in the SEC. I think that would work really well, and I think I would personally rather have Florida State and Clemson in the SEC as opposed to Oklahoma and Texas, but obviously that's already a done deal with them. But I think that just makes the SEC such a powerhouse conference if we have, I mean, Oklahoma's been to four uh, playoff appearances, right? Three, maybe? I think it's been three. Three playoff appearances. Texas, I mean, they always have a chance. They have a great team. It's just, you know, the boosters are too busy in their whole situation. And then you have Clemson, who's been to five or whatever. And they have Florida State's been to one, and they have or a potential now to be at more. So you would run into a situation of like, okay, the SEC would probably have three, four player team, probably more, if we uh, expanded it now. You know, it, the playoffs would be nothing but SEC teams. Yeah, well, when you think about it, Clemson and Florida State have won titles more recently than all but three SEC teams. Yeah, the, yeah, and I mean they've won titles. If they join the conference, they've won titles more recently than uh, every everybody else in the nation. The other, the only other team to win a national title, and since twenty two thousand and eight, is Ohio State. Everyone else has been the SEC or ACC. Yeah, exactly. All right, and so yeah, that just kind of brings us into this continued talk with Clemson. So, like, of course, the prospect of less money and less successful ACC schools, uh, or sorry, less money for the less successful ACC schools is hard to sell to them. But in a, you know, in a place where stability is a huge part of schools staying in these conferences, keeping the bigger brands like Clemson, FSU, and even Miami in the fold could be beneficial for all of them. Uh, The Clemson AD also uh, argues that uneven distribution incentivizes athletic departments to invest more and earn their cut. Yeah, I think the biggest thing here is this is 
they they're using this to their advantage. It's like some coaches when they get another coaching offer, they're saying, "All right, they offered me this much. What are you going to do to match it?" You know, this is base. In my opinion, I think this is basically what Clemson and Florida State are doing right now. They're yeah. saying, "Look at everybody else. They're getting this much money. This much they make. You know, look how they're they're doing this, and you're screwing us over." Yeah, it's ridiculous, but. Just to continue, uh, the Florida State Athletic Director uh, said that FSU and Clemson combine for around 24% of the value in the conference's media rights deals, and they collect a combined 14%. So they're missing out on 10% of the revenue through media rights you know, by the, the way that they value it. And um, people in the Board of Trustees for Florida State – said that it's almost impossible for Florida State to complete or sorry to compete nationally with the projected revenue disparity. Uh, and, and then when that board of trustees member said that, the athletic director interjected and said it is not almost impossible. It is impossible. Uh-huh. And it was also explained that it it would cost FSU about 120 million to leave the ACC. Uh, but that wouldn't account the expected litigation to break the SEC's grant of, or, sorry, the ACC's grant of rights. That's where the whole problem comes in. Because as much as you can put a valuation on the buyout, you don't know, like you know, what's going to happen with the ACC side. How are they going to be okay with this? They're going to do like there's obviously contractual agreements saying like you can't do this. Yeah. So it's it's all just a, a crazy situation. Yeah, and it's just it's just crazy how money does this, you know. Yeah. But uh, you know, we'll we'll just see how this all plays out. I'm sure, like I said, for Clemson, Florida State, this is basically a big bluff saying, "Hey, look at what everybody else gets. Why are we getting screwed?" You know. Yeah. Look, if everybody else is going to leave their conference, why can't we? Yeah, and, you know, the SEC would say, hey, we'll happily take you. Yeah, dude, think about how much more revenue that would bring into the SEC because now Florida-Florida State is a conference matchup. That's huge. Mm -hmm. You'd have Clemson playing against Alabama. You'd have them playing against South Carolina and Georgia. Like, you know, teams that, uh, you know, South Carolina and Clemson have obviously been rivals Clemson and Alabama have kind of created rivalries. Or, um, and then, you know, Georgia just being the national champion back-to-back years, they beat them in that home, or, uh, in that season opener uh, two years ago. There's kind of a rivalry between Clemson and Georgia when it comes to just their fans. But I, I think it just creates so much good stuff out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think if the SEC were to – if whatever happens SEC is able to acquire them I think that's nothing but good things for the SEC and that you would never see a national champion from any conference ever again yeah you would also have all of the biggest names in college sports would be in the SEC and on top of that this would come in a time where we expand the playoff as well yeah, this would – I mean, there's just so many things that go into the SEC were to acquire Clemson and Florida State. You would have 
just to name off the top of there, you'd have Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Florida State, Texas, Oklahoma, LSU, LSU. yeah, Texas like, A&M, huge Tennessee. money programs, big historical programs. Like there is Florida. so much possibility there. Yeah, all ten of those teams I just named are traditional powerhouses. Yeah, it is insane if that were to happen. All right. Well, let's move into a little bit of just like the news that's going on. So I do want to talk about this real quick. I thought it was interesting. So there's eight teams in the FBS, excluding independents, not playing a non-conference Power 5 opponent this season. And we're rather familiar with one of them because they've been doing it for years. It's Michigan, of course. Uh, They play East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. It's ridiculous that they can just keep doing this. Yeah, that is, and all everyone, I've said it before, and everyone always wants to hit on the SEC. Oh, they're doing this, that, they're only playing all these cupcakes, whatever. When you look at it, most SEC teams only get one or two cupcake games a a year, where I was supposed to get someone like Michigan, they, what was that, three, four? Uh, three. Yeah, and the SEC cupcakes, they're usually a, you only get one FCS, and then you get one uh, FBS group of five. And usually the group of five is pretty good. Like this year, Ole Miss, for example, played Troy. Yeah. They went on to be the second best group of five team this year behind Tulane. Yeah, there's, you know, a lot of reason why that's how it should be, honestly, when it comes to it. Because, look, you can get the FCS school. That's fine. Whatever. Everybody should get one. But on top of it, you give them – you, you got to have a power five opponent somewhere in there. That's non-conference because it, it just makes you look better. Honestly, look, if Michigan would have had wins last season over teams that were actually worth a shit, maybe, you know, things change with how they're placed in there and maybe they don't have to face TCU. Like it, it's just, it's things like that where it, it's so like uneven when it comes to scheduling. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, like, for Ole Miss's schedule for the next, I think, six years, starting in, uh, maybe starting this year, you, they get one FCS team, one group of five team, and then one, uh, then the other non-conference is an out-of-conference Power Five opponent. Then everything else is SEC. So that is nine SEC games, one plus one Power Five team. So that's ten Power Five opponents. Then a group of five team. And then an FCS team. So only out of the entire their entire year, that's only two possible give me games. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. That's how the schedule should be. Yeah, it one hundred percent should be. And the other teams I'm about to name, like a couple of them, it makes sense. A couple of them definitely doesn't. But the next one being Boston College, it kind of makes sense. They they really have not been very good in a while, and um. They're playing Northern Illinois, Holy Cross, Army, and UConn uh, as their non-conference games. Like these are all layups, but it's also Boston College. Yeah, you know it's, it's Boston College. Yeah, exactly. That's all you gotta say. You know. And then Houston, they play UTSA, Rice, and Sam Houston. But I, I'm kind of giving them a break here because it's their first season in Power Five. Yeah, they, they do deserve a little bit of a break there. Like you said, first season Power 5, they already had these scheduled. 
Yeah, and then Liberty was on this list, but I, I can't say like anything because like they're not Power Five yet, so I don't think that they should have to schedule Power Five teams. It would be more entertaining because they're one of the better group of five schools, but they're playing Bowling Green, Buffalo, Old Dominion, and UMass. And just to add on top of it, they're not slated to play a Power 5 opponent until 2027 against Virginia Tech. Wow. Um, that's, that's actually crazy. I mean, I knew they played a lot more SEC. Not, well, they played Auburn and Ole Miss and a few others in the previous years, but that is crazy that they're not playing another Power 5 until 2027. Yeah, it's it's wild. And then Oklahoma uh gets on this list and it kind of it's kind of unfair to them. So they play Arkansas State, SMU and Tulsa, which SMU and Tulsa are both pretty solid group of 5 schools, but originally they were supposed to play UGA, but the SEC canceled that matchup most likely due to this whole um moving Merger. around. But yeah. yeah, I think Oklahoma like it's another school where like they should have scheduled a Power 5, which they did. It just got canceled, so it's kind of hard to just be like, hey, another Power 5 school should fill this spot. It's pretty tough yeah. to do. Yeah, well, that's also something with Georgia this year when they got the easier schedule at the front. They were supposed to play Oklahoma like we talked, to, like we're talking about. But yeah. both of them, the schedule, with the merging and all that, they had, you know, kind of got screwed over. Yeah, and then Oregon State. Uh, they play San Jose State, UC Davis, and San Diego State. Uh, this is fine. Oregon State, like it, it, they were actually pretty decent last year, but like it's not like they're a super big contender in the Pac-12. So like I don't, I'm not gonna knock them for not scheduling a non-conference Power Five. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's one of those you're like, oh, it's Oregon State, meh. Yeah, we'll we'll see if DJ can even start. <laughs> yeah. And then UCF, in their first season in the Big 12, they're playing Kent State, Boise State, and Villanova. Yeah, this is another one, you know, they kind of get the pass, their first year. Uh, Boise State's a pretty good game, but Kent State and Villanova, eh. I know, Kent State gave Georgia a run for their money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then UCLA, for some weird reason, couldn't schedule an out of conference or sorry, yeah, non conference Power Five. They're playing Coastal, uh, Coastal Carolina, San Diego State, and then North Carolina Central. So Coastal and San Diego State, they're not bad teams. They're usually pretty good. Uh, uh, the group of five. Yeah, yeah, they are, and it, it's it's still like a, a pretty good scheduling, but it's UCLA. It's a team that. Though they haven't been fantastic at football, really, at all recently, um, they should still be scheduling out of conference power fives because they're a team that brings in viewership and, and for a, a little bit of fans. Yeah, and well, I think that would bring their if they started having bigger games that would help their fans. But I just also I don't know how how do you have two ginormous schools and and. Los Angeles, the biggest city in the nation, and can't get any fans in your stadium. Like, and they play in the freaking Rose Bowl. Like, come on. Yeah, but nobody out there watches college football. That's true. Oh, well, hell, they don't even watch NFL. Have you seen the SoFi Stadium on a Sunday? That's true. Unless it's Super Bowl Sunday, that place ain't packed. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, let's get into some more news. So UGA linebacker Jamon Dumas Dumas Johnson uh, was arrested for reckless driving and street racing. Well, that's stupid. Yeah, uh, it seems like every week somebody gets in trouble for something they shouldn't have done, and it's just like something dumb. Yeah, and, you know, I... I'm a firm believer that Kirby Storm, like everybody's like, oh, Kirby Smart doesn't care. No, I feel like Kirby Smart actually does care because, and I'm sure they're running and running and running <laughs> on top of all the stuff they go through. Yeah, as you're listening to this, the, or the, the University of Georgia football team is running. Yeah. Well, and my biggest thing is these guys, they keep screwing up Georgia, and Kirby is like, okay, I can take, he's probably, I can take your scholarship. Yeah, especially but, like he was he was arrested. It wasn't like he was just like got, you know, detained or whatever, like was just there. Like he's the one that did it. He was arrested for it. Like this is things that disciplinary action is most most definitely needed. Yeah, well, and you know, Nick Saban says it all the time. These are 18 to 22 to 23 year old boys. They aren't grown up yet. You're still there molding them into being men. They, you shouldn't, you know, kick them off the team immediately. I mean, yeah, that's really dangerous, really stupid, but that's not one of those, oh, let's just immediately kick them off the team. That's one of those, you just say, what in the hell were you thinking? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you, you know, you say, all right, you're going to run until uh, you either throw up or until I throw up. And you do that for a week, and I bet you they'll never do it again. That's a fair point. All right, let's talk about this uh, interesting thing that the Texas Longhorns athletic director, Chris Del Conte, said. Um, this, first off, sounds like every single Texas fan that's ever gotten like a Twitter account, this is how huh. they tweet at all times. So he was asked uh, uh, why they won't have alternate uniforms. He said, if God wanted multicolored sunsets, he'd have made them purple and green, but he didn't. They're burnt orange. It's not old. It's not stuffy. It's Texas. It's the best. That does sound like every Texas person <laughs> in the history of them being around. Like that is do that. Like I almost want to be like, do you think I care? Yeah, it, like nobody gives a shit about how much you love your colors. Yeah, well, anyways, the vast majority of people think your colors are the ugliest colors in the nation. Yeah, it's just orange. Stop making it yeah. out to be something different. There's plenty of other teams to wear orange, too. Yeah, and they're better than you. If you really liked your color, your mascot would be the orange, like Syracuse. Yeah, they are the most orange team out there. That's true. You, yeah, you, It doesn't get more orange than Syracuse. <laughs> they're literally the oranges. Like. Yeah. All right, let's move on to a little bit of just some coaching talk. So Austin Armstrong, um, I believe he was a defensive assistant for Alabama. He's taken the defensive coordinator job at Florida. Makes sense. Very smart move. Move in the SEC, get a promotion. It's a, a solid idea. Oh, yeah, and I know he's gotten a lot of crap, but Pete Golding is a good coordinator. And I think, and obviously, as you said, he was a uh, deficient, defensive uh, staff underneath him, underneath both Nick Saban and Pete Golding. I think that's a great hire for Florida. Yeah, exactly. 
And then uh, Ole Miss is hiring Sterling Gilbert as the offensive analyst. He's a former OC at Texas, Syracuse, and USF. I believe he was the head coach of McNeese State as well. Yeah, good hire. Um, I, I mean, as my, uh, anybody who has ability, uh, why not bring him on? Yeah, I've always been kind of confused by the offensive analyst and defensive analyst position. I'm sure you could give me a little bit more information on it, but like, what, what, like, what is their impact really? Are they just kind of like a, a assistant to the coordinators and just kind of give them ideas? To my basically from the, what I've kind of dealt with is yeah, they're ba- they're another coach, and they're they they again like. Like, like I said, they're just kind of another coach. They're there, another set of eyes, kind of another person to, like, it's almost like being a GA, but, like, you're too old to be a GA is what it seems like. <laughs> like, you're doing, like, some crap. Like, they don't do, like, all, you know, they don't go, there's, they're not doing all the crappy work, but they, to me, just, you know, they look at players, evaluate players. They do all this until they can get another job being a coach or whatever. Yeah, uh, that's... Yeah, it's some job that I've seen a lot as I've started to observe like the the coaching hires in football more is that there's so many guys that get hired as analysts at schools. Yeah, and that also goes to like it's a you know, the NCAA only allots so many coaches and so many this that the other and so yeah. I I'm sure I'm sure that's something else like they get paid separately. I don't even know it all. I don't know how any of that works. That's not my wheelhouse really. All I know is I a lot. I know some of the analysts like they come out. They will they coach like they actually coach. Yeah. So um, and they're a lot. They're good. Like they they know what they're talking about. They're understanding. I they I just think they're there until they can get uh, a position job, assistant position job. You know, one of those. Yeah. That that would make sense. All right, so let's talk about the highest-graded quarterbacks in college football by season since 2014. This is by uh, PFF. So in 2014, Marcus Mariota. Totally makes sense. Yeah. And then 2015 was Jared Goff, which just kind of goes to prove that 2015 was not a great quarterback year. Yeah, obviously not, but uh, it also goes to prove, like, oh, it kind of makes sense why uh, Jared Goff was able, you know, he went first overall or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. He definitely deserved to be highly touted. And then, you know, the next two years, 16 and 17, were Baker. Once again, another thing that makes sense, he was kind of on top of college football at the time. Yeah, he was one of the better quarterbacks at that time. Yeah, and and he really was like – not, I wouldn't say he was the face of college football at the time. I would say he was like, he was like the villain that everybody wanted to see. Yeah, no, I totally agree. He's really was the villain at the time. Yeah, kind of like John Johnny Football style villain. Yeah, that's a great way to put him. I fully agree because I didn't like him. I used to not like him at all. Yeah. Then he but, started doing those progressive commercials, and I really liked him. <laughs> all right, and then 2018, Kyler Murray makes sense. Heisman winner that year, of course. And then 2019, Joe Burrow. Once again, it, it couldn't have been any other way. Yeah. And then 2020 was Mac Jones, which, like I said, couldn't, couldn't have really gone any other way. That's what happens when you're a Heisman finalist and your starting wide receiver is the Heisman winner. 
Yeah, when you come second in voting to your own wide receiver. <laughs> yeah, and then in 2021, there was a three-way tie, which is crazy, but it was between Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Kenny Pickett. Now, of course, C.J. and Bryce make sense. Kenny Pickett's a little surprising. Yeah, I, you know, like Kenny Pickett kind of hit everybody's radar like halfway through the season just because he was playing at Pitt, but... Yeah, it didn't seem like he was that, like, it didn't seem like he was on the same level even in just that season as C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. Yeah, and I still refuse that, like, he will be on that same level uh, when they all get in the NFL. He's a good quarterback, but the reason he got all that attention is from that fake slide he did. That's true. Yeah, that got him a ton of attention. Like, uh, of course, plenty of people were kind of on him already, but that definitely gave him, like, a his name a lot more notoriety yeah and all i want to say just while we're while well, since i just mentioned it i really i i'm happy good for him for using the rules to his advantage but that fake slide was bogus that was like it wasn't against the rules at the time but i'm really happy they went in there and fixed that yeah it, it's a it's a bs move yeah all right but that's then, all I w- yeah <laughs> and then this year jordan travis of florida state uh, it makes me so happy because, like, I look, I absolutely despised what was going on at Florida State before this season started. You can ask Brock. I was losing my mind over everything. I couldn't live with Mike Norvell, at co- like a head coach. I didn't think Jordan Travis was a good passer. I thought he was just on the on the ground guy. He completely changed the nation's mind this past season, as well as Mike Norvell, and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, he has, did a great job this season. And I, I mean, I've been telling you, you got to give Norvell some time. And that's the biggest thing in college football right now. No one wants to give coaches time to develop their program. Everyone expects an instant turnaround. Like, for example, at Ole Miss, that, you know, it after year two, it was 10 and two, but this year we went eight and five. But Lane Kiffin has yet to get in a, his, big, uh, uh, his big clash yet. Yeah, once he has, you know, four years of guys, it's going to change a lot. Yeah, um, I fully agree, especially after a year like this. He has one five-star, I believe seven four-stars, and three three-stars or something like that signed in this class. It's not good enough to be top 25, but I believe it's like 27 or 28 or something like that. And then he had a top five transfer class for this season. Yeah, yeah, and... We'll do it soon, but we're going to go through like all of the transfer stuff that happened. I wanted to kind of let everything happen before we went through and talked about everything, but it, it kind of seems like the dust has settled on the transfer portal now. So we'll talk about that pretty soon, probably once like the combine and stuff wraps up and there's a little bit of downtime before the draft. But I want to talk about this BYU NIL thing because it is weird. Okay, so BYU football fans have the opportunity to pay to go on a NIL cruise with players in March. It's a $350 package. It covers three people for a four-day carnival cruise from California to Mexico and includes player meetups during meals and mini golf. That is interesting. I it To me, it sounds like hell. Like, what the fuck do BYU fans do on a cruise? You can't drink. You can't can't gamble. Yeah. 
<laughs> can't <laughs> sleep with anybody. And and on top of it, why are the players there? I that honestly, that makes that is just so on par for the Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that's just not so like you know, they're just like such like nice I'm sure like, you know, they don't do anything. They're just like so like uh pure at heart when it comes to like those type of things so they're like oh yeah you know like that that would be so cool to be able to hang out with the players on a cruise yeah i just feel like there's got to be some byu players that are like i don't want to do this yeah they're just like coach uh i can't and like one more time in that church i'm losing my mind (laughs) but like it's so weird that they're branding it as an nil cruise like the players are going to profit off of this. It's super weird. Yeah. I, I, oh my, I could not imagine being, and this is going to sound so mean. Like I know, you know, they, 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 a lot of the players are very good with kids or, you know, like they, they want to, you know, be nice to the kids, but I couldn't imagine being a division one athlete, like a real adult having to spend four days with, a thousand little kids constantly trying to get my picture, want to do whatever it is. And like, you know, I, I get it, but it's like, I, Oh, I would, I would probably not end up because at some point you're like, I just want my own space. And you know, you can't really hide from them because you're on a cruise ship. Yeah. That's, there's not very many places to go. And also like, what, what are they going to do in Mexico? (laughs) Dude, (laughs) you're, I don't know what they're going to do. I feel, I feel- <laughs> like this, this just sounds like the weirdest situation ever. I, I kind of want to like go. Yeah. I would love to like someone to video it and just yeah. like, let me watch the video. I need like yeah, a, some- a constant live stream of like what's happening on like the pool deck on the BYU NIL cruise. I mean, there's going to be no bikinis. No, nope. <laughs> like, it's like, gonna look I, like I'm, a 1920s beach. It's actually gonna be like the Titanic. Like <laughs> they just brought it but back. They're not. The they're not. They're not crashing. We're not saying they're that not, that should happen. And if it does happen, we didn't say anything. Yeah, it's gonna. It's gonna be in this in the around the horizon or the whatever the equator. So I think we're good. Yeah, there's no ice caps down there. <laughs> All right, this is so stupid. College football was a uh, a category on Jeopardy. Uh, I believe it was sometime earlier this week, maybe last week. And these questions were just absolute layups, but also it's Jeopardy and it's just three nerds staring at you while you ask these questions. But I'm going to go through each category's money value and I'm just going to give you the question. I'd love for you to answer them. So All right. for $200 on January 1st, 1920, Harvard beat, Oregon seven to six in this annual game in Pasadena. You may be shocked to learn Harvard has not been back since. Rose Bowl. Yep. Okay. For four hundred, the sooner the better. Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray won back-to-back Heisman's QBing for this school. Oklahoma. <laughs> All right. It's gonna get tough. I promise. <laughs> six hundred. Currently a chief part of the NFL, he threw for 5,052 yards and 41 touchdowns in his last year at Texas Tech in 2016. Pat Mahomes. 
Okay. 800. I'm telling you, it's going to get hard. Okay. <laughs> 800. By the end of the 2020, 2021 season, this head coach had won six national championships with the university of Alabama. Oh, Nicholas. All right. The thousand dollar question. It's a real hard one. It's a real cat fight at the Bayou classic with the Jaguars of Southern University facing the Tigers of this State University of Louisiana. Oh, Louisiana State University. You've got to be fucking kidding me. These can't be real questions. They can't be, no, right? Like, that last one is like, it literally gives you the answer, and you just have to move one word at the end. Yeah, you literally just just sub around. That is... No way. Did it, uh, please tell me no one missed. I'm sure they did. Oh, you know someone definitely messed one of those up. You know, yeah. they're like Paul Baker Bryant for number uh for the $800 one. Don Shula. <laughs> 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 yeah, like uh. it, it it amazes me as somebody who just has watched college football their whole life that there are people out in the world that wouldn't know the answers to any of these questions. Yeah, that just goes for like most any sport for me though. Like, there, there, I can give you a pretty good answer for most any sport, especially collegiate. And I, I could give, I could, you could ask me the question, I'll probably be able to give you the answer. But that's just me. I've always been a sports guy. But like you said, it is just insane to me. There are actually people in the world who would have no idea. Yeah. And so to kind of go back to a little bit of this Pac 12 situation. People are saying that the Big Ten is not done stealing teams from the Pac-12. I, oh, that is just so dumb to me. I think they're saying that mainly because of uh, the whole if, – if Florida State and Clemson leave and the SEC gets them, the Big Ten's going to want to keep rating. Yeah, they but, might as well. You know, why not just grab Washington and Oregon? Oh, yeah, I would 100%. I wouldn't blame them. I would do it too. But, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's all going to get worked out, and most of the conferences are going to end up staying the same. With that being said, I mean, I hope it doesn't because, again, I think it's so stupid UCLA and USC are moving. But that's just. All right, well, let's talk about an NIL thing that does kind of make sense to me. So this is a Florida State. Uh, fan initiative. It's called the Battles End Collective. Uh, they launched a website which allows Florida State fans to contribute money towards NIL deals. I think this is a fantastic way to do it as opposed to a bunch of Mormons taking a cruise to Mexico. I agree. Ole Miss does, a, uh, does something very similar. It's called the Grove Collective. And it uh, seems to work, work very well. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic way to just kind of because obviously the school can't pay them directly. That's you know how all this works. And it's a great way for the fans to contribute, just like how any fan by just going to an NFL game contributes to the salary of the players. These fans are probably people that do go to Florida State games or at least watch Florida State games, and they can contribute to the players that they get to watch week in and week out make money. Yeah. And I know for like the Ole Miss one, for example, the Grove Collective is more, I I could be wrong here. I think, uh, I'm pretty sure that's like 
it's like its own business. It's where it's like its own comp it's its own thing that's a part of the university, but not really. But it's it's where the companies and the individuals want to sponsor the players or whatever, and they go through them. And then through there also individual people can say, Hey, you know, I would really love to give money to Ole Miss football. And then, you know, if you give X amount of money, you get a free t-shirt, you you know, you get a free bag, you get a meet with whatever it is, you know, those type of things. Yeah. And I, I think that works way better than what than like having the kids have an agent. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I think that the way that this is kind of panning out, like this is the really good side of what has gone on with NIL. Of course, you know, there's, you know, bad parts like uh, Jaden Rashado with Florida and how he was promised 13 million. And then they were like, Oh, sorry, we can't. And then like, he's got to find a new school, like things like that, like that absolutely sucks. And I think that promising prospects and um, like high schoolers money. And then, you know, not really being certain that you can hold up your end of the deal is kind of the the worst that we've seen with NIL, and it is horrible. Yeah, I definitely got to say they need to put some, something in there. Like, you cannot go to a player, you know, your boosters are not allowed to say, can promise money or anything. Like, just be like, all right, you know, the ESPN already does an on three. They already, and 24-7 as well, the three big ones, they already do their own this player's going to be estimated at this much money, you know, whatever, whatever. And like, all right, you're estimated at this, you know, or they could be like, all right, you're estimated at this, like we can do whatever, but not like, you know, this is like, if you, if they have those one, because we know it's going to happen. Yeah. But I don't know. There's just so many more rules they just need to put in place for it. Cause I think that's, I don't think it's ruining football. Cause you still have Georgia and Alabama who are getting great recruits because they have the best coaching staffs in college football. But then you have places like Texas, for example, where the coaching staff is it's good, but it's not amazing. But you know, you know, uh, like Quinn Ewers is probably making several. Mi- I think he said he's making like close to ten million a year or something. Yeah. And it's like I and I, at the end of the day, like that's a lot of players. Like you know, Nick Saban said it just the uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, a current player and a recruit said, "All right, uh, how much can are you going to give me?" And he said, "All right, you're gone." Yeah, it's that's, it's a vicious cycle, honestly, with how it's working out. Yeah, and I really like that because if I was a coach and a player said, "All right, uh, how much are you giving me to go here?" I'd say, "All right, thank you for the meeting, but you know, I just because of that, I you're a great player, but I don't want someone on my team that that's all they care about." Like, I understand money is a part of it now, but like college football at the end of the day, that's not what college football is about. No, it's not at all. Uh, I I do want to talk about this real quick. So Anthony Richardson has absolutely flown up draft boards. He's now like his odds to be first overall have just absolutely boomed. Like, how does that happen when he isn't playing any football right now? Like, is there something that we're completely missing with Anthony Richardson that all of a sudden he's just flying up boards? Uh, I'll give you exactly what we're looking at. Size. He has a pretty good arm and that Utah game. Yeah, <laughs> I guess like, yeah, his build and like his athleticism is fantastic. It's exactly what you're looking for in uh, a young quarterback. It just seems like he didn't show it off enough. The biggest thing with him is he needed another year and in 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 getting developed and learning. 
but yeah. that you know we see it, it happens all the time in the NCAA is you know they see the big money NFL and instead of you know perfecting their craft they and I don't blame them go make your money and they go into the NFL when they're not ready when I think if he spends another year in college and let's just say he just does nothing but develop 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 this whole whole offseason he could potentially be a Heisman winner. He could, you know, be then he would definitely be number one. He wouldn't have to worry about having all this pressure being number one overall or anything if he can actually prove it. Yeah, exactly. I think the combine is going to be huge for him. Uh, I'm about to get to a couple of guys, uh, or I think that'll be in the NFL news where I'm going to talk about a couple of guys that are and aren't uh, participating in the combine. Uh, I will go ahead and say Anthony Richardson is one of them that will be participating. Uh, I, want to talk about this real quick because I think this is wild. North Carolina is expected to hire Freddie Kitchens as their tight ends coach. Uh, if you don't remember Freddie Kitchens, he was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns like four years ago. And now he's the tight ends coach at the University of North Carolina. Wow. I was about to say, I knew that name sounded so familiar. Like that is a extreme fall from grace. I think he all, I'm pretty sure if I recall, he kind of got screwed at the Browns as well. Oh, definitely. But, you know, I, he got a lot of money and, you know, I don't blame him. I would want to be back in coaching too, especially, I don't think he's that old, is he? No, I don't think he's like extremely old. I think he's probably up there, probably 50s. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, he's 48. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. He ever since he left the Browns, he was tight ends coach for the Giants. And he was a senior offensive assistant, and then he was a football analyst at South Carolina. And now he's actually a real coach again. He's tight ends and run game coordinator, so it's not like it's the worst thing ever. Yeah, yeah, that, that's not as bad, but it, it is just interesting to see a guy who just a couple of years ago was the head coach of an NFL team to end up at. You know, the University of North Carolina. It's crazy. And, and um, I'm not sure where he – actually, he went to Alabama. Uh, so maybe maybe he's just looking to get a, a little bit of a start in college coaching so he can go be at Alabama with Saban. Yeah, maybe – yeah, you know, that's what he's looking for, to be able to make it back to that one day. And, you know, I don't blame him. He only got one year as a shot and, uh, at being a head coach before, you know, they said get out. Yeah, it, it's a tough break for him. I just thought it was – why I feel like that's something you definitely don't see often. A guy that who really wasn't that bad of a coach with the Browns. It was just like I think that was what the second year of Baker, and yeah. obviously there was a ton going on. But then again, like Kevin Stefanski took his job and then got him to the playoffs. So you know, I mean, he went six and ten in his one and only year. That's better than the Browns were doing before. Yeah. I think he just really got screwed again. Yeah, I think so as well. So I saw this interesting tweet here uh, by a guy, Eric Ford. Uh, it's a an old uh, picture of this paper that uh, was a note sent to ESPN. Uh, this guy mailed his idea for a 12-team college football playoff to ESPN in 1994. Uh, typed on his mom's 70s IBM Selectric 2. I think that's... Fantastic. Like you can tell that this is definitely like some old paper. Um, it's even got like stains and stuff on it, but this is 
fantastic. I actually really like how he set this up with like the different bowl games and stuff being the different stages in the playoff as well. Yeah, I actually kind of like this, and I think this is the format they'll most likely be going for because we are switching to a 12-team format in 2024, correct? Yes. I think the format is going to be very similar to this. Yeah, I, I think it's it's super cool, and like it is interesting to see the teams that are on here because, like, number one, Nebraska. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. It, number two was Penn State. Three, Alabama, four, Florida, and then at five, you have Miami, six, Colorado, a team that certainly hasn't been that close uh, at all. And then A&M, Colorado State was number nine. And then uh, seven, seven was Florida State. Number 10, Kansas State. And then Virginia was number 12. Uh, yeah, and Oregon was number 11. But like the way it progresses, so um, in the first round, uh, so the the top four get a first round bye, but in the the initial round before that, um, they're they'd play the Sun Bowl, the Gator Bowl, Holiday Bowl, and Liberty Bowl, and then in the second round, it'd be Peach Bowl, Citrus Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Cotton Bowl, and then your semifinal games would be Sugar Bowl and Rose Bowl, and then your championship game would be the Orange Bowl, and um, it says he put like some notes down at the bottom that say like sugar rose and orange bowls could rotate national championship games from year to year. And then uh, the teams that don't make the playoffs would uh, participate in other bowl games, not included in the tournament. That's crazy that he did this in 1994. You know, and I kind of like the idea of having bowl game, even for the first round for, you know, uh, player teams five through 12, but I just don't know. I kind of also like the idea of like, having more bowl games for everybody else to go to but that would those five through 12 having those bowl games i would get a lot more coverage for them so there's you know it's a lot of you know if i think if we do do this it should be uh the higher seed gets the home and then it goes to bowl games for semi semi and quarters yeah which i think is the idea um i think that's what is being implemented yeah, I, I think that is I, – I, I like that a little more only because those other bowl games, you know, let them bring in other – you know, let them – or you could just do four random bowl games each year, you know? Yeah, just see. I, I think that would be cool. If it would be, okay, uh, we have Ole Miss versus Clemson. Let's put them in the uh, Nashville Bowl or the Liberty Bowl or the Belk Bowl, you know? Those are all right there in Tennessee or Carolina. You know, that's a put them in Nashville. That's halfway between both of them. Yeah. So you know, the, uh, the, I think that'd be pretty interesting to see, and that would get a lot more uh, viewership for a lot of those bowl games. But that's something, of course, way above my pay grade. Indeed. Uh, I don't know how I got this separated, but the the four teams that are still being targeted from the Pac-12 by the Big Ten. Uh, or Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal Berkeley. Stanford and Cal Berkeley would be fucking horrible. Uh, yeah, but I, I honestly feel like Stanford since and Cal Berkeley, those are the most like. I feel like they're some of the smartest schools. They're the they're the two smartest schools in the Pac-12, and they would really look at that and be like, "All right, 
I don't want to like they would not let their student athletes suffer that much. I don't think. That's fair. That's just my personal opinion, but I don't know. Yeah. And then last thing, I have to bring it up. Todd McShay reported that Bryce Young sized up at five ten and a half. That's not good. That is so not good. I thought he was at least at six foot, but goodness. Dude, when <laughs> once I saw those pictures of like him next to Saban and him next to Kyler Murray, I was like, oh mm-hmm. shit. Well, yeah, that uh, Kyler. Well, Kyler Murray's really not doing that good. Yeah, well, but if you're shorter than Kyler Murray, there's a problem. Yeah, I think. I mean, Drew Brees was what five eleven. I think so. And like that was pushing it, and he uh, had the NFL passing yards until Tom Brady decided to spend thirty years in the NFL. True. Like he realistically should still like if Tom Brady would have been a normal player and retired four years ago, three years ago, like everyone else would have, and not, you know, lose his wife and kids. <laughs> he, he, Drew Brees would still be the, uh, would still have those records, but of course, you know, you can't say too much. Like, Tom Brady got him. He outlasted whatever. But Drew Brees is just a prime example. He's one of the best quarterbacks in all in NFL history. Easily top 10, top 15. Yeah, and the problem is, is like, Drew Brees and Bryce Young have very different play styles. Bryce Young, though he is a fantastic and relatively a pure passer, he does run the ball a, a decent amount, and he's pretty fast. That's where I think his size becomes more of a problem than it was for Brees. Yeah, I, I agree, but I think he's going to be a good enough passer because he is... He is so similar to Joe Burrow with like I feel like he doesn't feel any pressure at all. He can just uh, again the best example I have is twenty last year. So what is that? Twenty twenty one. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty twenty one. He that last second comeback against Auburn. That last minute. I mean, where he led him ninety three yards or whatever down the field and scored that touchdown. He just could not miss and had nothing but pressure in his face. And he just did so amazing. Yeah. No, look, Bryce Young is a phenomenal quarterback, but I also do understand if NFL teams are going to have hesitation with him because of his size. Yeah, I think they will. And that's something that he'll have to play against. But I think he's going to be proved to whomever decides to take him, and especially now he's going lower in the draft, maybe he will, will end up somewhere with a good offensive line and, He's just going to get back there and be able to throw the ball. and like, hey, look, I, I told you I was good. But you know, that's something, that, of course, that we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a ton of college football stuff. Did not expect all that to happen uh, in the last weekend of February. But, yeah, plenty of stuff happened this past weekend in college football. Let's get into the NFL because there's still some more controversy brewing, even though we're a couple weeks out from the Super Bowl and now we're looking towards the combine and draft. Dan Snyder and the Washington Commanders. This whole saga is just, I feel like it's never coming to an end. But it was reported that Jeff Bezos bid $6.3 billion and was denied. Uh, Some reported that Bezos was kind of being blacklisted by Dan Snyder from buying the franchise due to Bezos owning the Washington Post and Snyder not being happy with how the Washington Post has treated him in the past. Um, Amazon, or uh, 
looks like um, you know people were reporting that Bezos was out of the running, and now they're saying that that's not the case. Uh, Bezos was not uh, is not blacklisted from buying them. Um, so th- there's a bunch of com- conflicting stuff, but it would make sense that Dan Snyder would deny him just you know out of personal spite. Uh, and then, uh, there is a growing concern amongst the NFL owners that Dan Snyder could choose to keep the team. And that's the worst case scenario here. Uh, Dan Snyder's demand, uh, demanding the NFL and owners, uh, indem- indemnify him against any future legal liability. If he sells the commanders or he will sue, uh, that obviously angered some owners and has kind of restarted the talk of removing Snyder completely as the owner of the commanders. It, it, this whole situation is crazy. And um, one person said that um, the people that confirmed Snyder's demands um, have added that this dif- dispute is and could be getting pretty messy. Uh, there is a couple of buyers that are interested, one being uh, Tillman Fertitta, who's the owner of the Houston Rockets. Um, and... Uh, he's involved in the bidding. I think you know that could be one that works out, but it it doesn't help that now uh, the Washington Commanders three minority owners allege that Dan Snyder committed bank fraud in securing a fifty five million dollar loan without board approval, and then the NFL made it go away, and now a federal grand jury is looking into it. So things are just not looking up right now for the Commanders franchise. It is not, and I mean, they haven't been that bad of a team. They have a good coach there. They just, you know, are getting screwed up the ownership. Yeah, that's been a case for their entire existence, uh, but I'm not going into all that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's such a weird situation. I, I honestly, the people I feel bad for the most here is Washington Commanders fans. Yeah, they're getting screwed over the most by far. Yeah, it, it is bad. Uh, let's get into some other news, though. So Lamar Jackson uh, was asked about the hiring of Todd Munkin, uh, and he simply just had no input. So that's not a fantastic sign for Lamar staying with the Ravens. Come to Atlanta. Yep, please. I'm begging you. All right, and then the Broncos, their primary coaching staff has been finalized. So Sean Payton is obviously the head coach. They've brought on Joe Lombardi as the offensive coordinator and Vance Joseph as the defensive coordinator. Mike Westhoff is the assistant head coach, and Ben Kotwicka, I think that's how you say it, as the special teams coordinator. I I think they've put together a pretty solid staff here. Yeah, that sounds pretty solid. Uh, I mean, it's Sean Payton. He knows how to win. He we proved it to the Saints, won a Super Bowl, made the playoffs, won his division most every year. I mean, he's he's a great coach. He know again, great coach knows how to win, and uh, I think they're going to be a good team this year. Yeah, uh, I'm, surprisingly, I'm excited to see what all happens with the Broncos because there's just so much going on. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the Saints. So they made a little bit of a, a cap-clearing move here. So the kicker, Will Lutz, took a $1.5 million pay cut. Um, and so they're, they're clearing a little bit more cap, which makes it seem like they're going to truly pursue Derek Carr now. Yeah, and I think they should. I think he would fit in there great. Yeah, I do, I do think so as well. He's There's already receivers there for him, 
and you know they've got a, a pretty solid team just in general. They just haven't been able to win because Andy Dalton was their quarterback. Yeah, uh, they definitely need to do. And I think another thing with them is they're just a lot of their players are getting older, getting up there. So uh, I think this year, I think coming soon, they're gonna have to start cutting and releasing and drafting a bunch of new younger guys, or at least do that, or start drafting some younger guys for them to learn up underneath the older guys and then start releasing and, you know, bringing up starting and whatnot. Yeah, and it looks like now the biggest hump for any team trying to sign Derek Carr is that he wants $35 million a year, which really isn't that much now in the quarterback market. Uh, like we talked about Daniel Jones, he turned down 35. He's looking for more. Uh, it's it's an interesting market right now for quarterbacks. So I think getting Derek Carr for $35 million a year really isn't all that bad. Yeah, and I, mean, I, I just kind of hate that. I, I understand, you know, the, the NFL, they make little billions of dollars, and every franchise makes hundreds of millions of dollars. But I do kind of wish that players didn't want ridiculous sums for, you know, everything. Yeah, it's just, you know, one person does it and then the next guy wants to one-up him and it's just, you know, a series of growing this market. Yeah, and, you know, that's just how it works, capitalism, so. Yeah, that's true. Uh, a little bit more, (laughs) a little bit more cap-clearing moves. So the Packers restructured the contracts of Jair Alexander and Preston Smith, so that created uh, roughly $15 million in cap space. Uh, the Jaguars also created $10 million in cap space by restructuring Foye Aluakon's contract. So there are two more teams that, you know, looked like they're primed to make a free agency move now, possibly, you know, in the future. But when you clear cap right now, before free agencies really started, it does kind of look like you're ready to pursue a couple people. Uh, For the Jags, who do you think they'd be pursuing? Possibly offensive line. Maybe just a couple of defensive players. Obviously, you know, they don't really need a quarterback or running back or wide receivers, so. Yeah, that I was thinking because they're going to have, I know this is a bit off topic, but next year, you know, they'll have T-Law, Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne. Uh, who's the other running back? His name just left my mind. Uh, Jermichael Hasty. He re-signed today. They, he signed an extension. Um. Yeah, and then you'll have uh, Christian Kirk and uh, – Oh, he was just with the Falcons. We traded him down there. Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley, yeah. So they have a pretty solid offense, I think. Yeah, they do. They're they're in a really good spot. You give them a better offensive line, and there's some there's some future there in Jacksonville. Yeah. All right, and then let's talk about this because I, I think this is interesting. So Marshawn Lynch uh, was kind of defending Russell Wilson. He said, that little, and this quote just says expletive, I'd assume it's bitch maybe something else, Uh, that little something is good. I watched him come through and make plays, make throws, and I watched him make sacrifices. We didn't win the second Super Bowl, but at the end of the day, I really watched his sacrifice. Look, I think we all understand that Russell Wilson was a a fantastic quarterback with the Seahawks, but I I feel like it's his image is tarnished at this point. Yeah, and I think mainly what happened with him is he just was getting older. The older he got, the more like almost cocky he got. And that's where his issues started coming in. Cause I mean, we saw a lot of the news recently 
he tried to get Pete Carroll and the GM fired. Yeah. And you are, I'm sorry, but then you're just a player that, that, and look, look what happened without him. They did just fine without him. So I think he was just letting all the spotlight and attention get to his head. Yeah. It's not surprising, you know, based off of the image that has been kind of created of Russell Wilson, he does kind of seem like, you know, a cocky guy, just very self-centered, not really worried about what could happen to anybody else. And I believe I put it in here somewhere um, a little bit more about that. But um, let's talk about Jalen Ramsey here because it looks like he's probably going to get traded now. Um, and he's already getting courted by uh, by other players across the league. But the two teams mentioned primarily for uh, trade locations would be uh, Las Vegas. Uh, he joined the Raiders or Detroit. I would rather see him in Vegas. I think that would be. I don't. I don't know why, but I think it just like in my mind fits better. Yeah, than I, I think it's a fantastic idea for Jalen Ramsey to join Devontae Adams because that way he doesn't have to guard him. Yeah, then I, they would have you know one of the best top three receiver and a top three cornerback. Yeah, it's a fantastic move. Uh, the Chiefs are expected to decline Clyde Edwards-Alaire's fifth-year option. Uh, I can't help but think this is probably a result of not just injury, but also how well Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon played this past season. Yeah, I mean, Edwards-Alaire, uh, mainly those injuries and not really ever getting to be, he, you know, he just never really did anything too amazing. Yeah, he had a pretty solid rookie year that, he still ended up getting, you know, a little bit injured there at the end of, but just the last two years, it just seems like nothing can really go his way health wise. Yeah, and again, it's not really not all his fault. You know, you can't help injury, but I think that's that's the biggest thing is not being able to be healthy. You know, you can't prove yourself. Yep. And then it came out that the Bears plan to meet with all of the top quarterbacks in the class at the combine. But the expectation is still that Fields will be the starter. So I, I, I just don't understand. It's like, uh, okay, I think it makes sense that they'd meet with all the quarterbacks. Of course, they have the first overall pick. You know, if there's a guy that just really stands out to you, take him, trade off Justin Fields. But it also is like, okay, none of these guys really excite us. Let's trade down. I think they're just looking at their options right now. I mean, you could have the next guy potentially not saying that Justin Fields isn't, but you know, one of these guys could be the next guy. You could take a chance on him, trade Justin away just to see what their best course of action is. I don't blame them. I mean, I think really trading that number one pick for, you know, some uh, more draft picks, players, whatever might be their, their best call, but I don't really know. I'm not really a big bears fan or know the most about them. So I bet they seem to just always struggle as a franchise for as long as I can remember. Yeah, and uh, I think that the important thing is capitalizing on your draft picks, getting the best value out of them. If they don't see the number one pick as having the most value uh, possible in this situation, trade it. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk a little bit of combine here. So I just kind of have a list of guys that are and are not uh, participating in the combine. So uh, B. John Robinson, K. 
kind of the consensus top running back in the 2023 NFL draft. He plans to do all on-field drills and testing at this week's combine, uh, as well as Texas's pro day on March 9th, which is just three days after the combine. This comes as a bit of a surprise to some because Bijan ended the year, uh, missed the last, I believe, two games or maybe the last game and their bowl game uh, with an injury, but it appears he's ready to go. Yeah, and he wants to compete. I like that. Yeah, it's a fantastic sign. A guy that you know can turn around from an injury and you know he knows he's already the best running back in this class by far. He still wants to go out there and show NFL teams what he's all about. Yeah, good for him. And then Alabama edge rusher Will Anderson Jr., obviously one of the top prospects in this draft, he plans to participate in at least some on-field work at the Combine. Most likely not all of them, but he will be in the linebacker group, which starts on Thursday. Um, It, it is kind of interesting to see guys, you know, they just like, choose, uh, like uh, yeah, I want to participate in this one. I don't want to participate in this one. It, it's kind of weird. Yeah, it is very weird to me how that works, but I mean, hey, you do you, I guess. Fair. And then Kentucky quarterback Will Levis, uh, he's going to throw in Indianapolis, so a good sign. Um, And then Anthony Richardson is also going to throw and do all the testing and drills. And I think this is big for Anthony Richardson. We talked about it a little bit, but... This is the chance for him to really show his physicality and his strength and his arm and just all of his playmaking ability as well as just like the the pure athleticism of Anthony Richardson could be displayed in the combine. And I think that's huge because he has a big chance to rise on everybody's boards. I think the biggest thing with him is are we going to get another Zach Wilson? Yeah, that 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 is an opportunity there. Someone who, you know, just does a couple of these crazy things and the combine, whatever, and they just um, magically jump up on everybody's board, and then they don't really do anything once they get to the pros. Yeah, I think Anthony Richardson's a little bit of a different case because, like, at least he was playing Power 5 football, and he is a guy that's been looked at all season. He just didn't quite live up to the expectations we had, but when it comes to, like, how he sizes up, he is the perfect size. True. That is very true. And then uh, Texas Tech edge rusher Tyree Wilson, who is another, you know, kind of like projected top 10. um, He's progressing well in his recovery from the fractured foot, but uh, he just started ramping up workouts about two weeks ago and he's not going to go to the combine, but he will participate in his pro day to do his drills and testing. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. It's, it's smart to, you know, just wait. Because, look, the thing is, is you can miss the combine. Yeah. We, we've we seen plenty of players just not go to the combine, just do their pro day, and they still are, they're fine draft stock-wise. You're still going to, like, he's still going to be meeting with NFL teams. It's just, you know, not going to be in uh at the combine. And then Jalen Carter, one of the, probably a top player, a top three pick most likely, He will not participate in the workout portion of the week's combine. He will do interviews with teams and the physical assessments. Um, And then he will uh, work out at his pro day at UGA on March 15th. 
Yeah, I, I think the pro day, a lot of players prefer to do the pro day. Yeah, I think and it's... I think, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think it's just because they're comfortable and they're, they're in a more comfortable situation than the draft or the combine. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And then, like, as well as that, like, you have all your coaches around, um, you know, your teammates are kind of participating with you. It is much more of like a comfortable environment to show off like what you're so good at. Yeah. Uh, this is some interesting news here. So it doesn't appear that the Vikings are interested in another one-year extension for Kirk Cousins. Uh, it hmm. looks like the Vikings could do either a long-term extension or let Kirk Cousins play out the existing deal and then uh, you know see what free agency has for him see if he's going to come back, see what they can do there. Yeah, I mean, see this, you know, let him see out this year, see if he does as good as he did last year. I mean, he's a consistent quarterback. Yeah, for sure. He He's a model of consistency at the quarterback position, but I definitely understand this. It, it's kind of like it, the fact that they're even willing to consider the long-term extension shows that they do trust Kirk Cousins at quarterback. But I also understand, let him play out the existing deal you know, because let's say next year doesn't go all too well, let him walk. Get somebody else. Yeah, I I agree with you. That, that that's a good call. <laughs> and then, uh, this is a quote from an NFL coach that anonymous anonymously said that, um, he spoke to Chicago potentially uh, keeping Fields. He said he kept the Bears in games that they had no business being in. Showed that he can overcome deficiencies around him which is pretty big to hear from an NFL coach talking about Justin Fields because, you know, they, they were, what, 3-14? and 14? So, uh-huh. obviously, the season didn't quite go their way, but he's right. Justin Fields did some fantastic stuff last year. Like, you know, it's not normally a quarterback stat. Dude was, like, number seven in rushing yards this season. Yeah, that is pretty impressive. Like, in over... Th- 1,000 rushing yard season as a what second-year quarterback? It's pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, that is that is very good. And then uh, the Bears have already been approached by multiple teams about trading the draft's number one overall pick. Uh, Chicago said it is leaning towards moving the pick. So it looks like it's up for sale, but you know they're in an interesting spot because... There's a few teams in just the top 10 that could trade up. Uh, of course, the Texans at two, the Colts at four, Raiders at seven, the Falcons at eight, which I think is the least likely of the bunch, and then the Panthers at nine. So, yeah, they've got a plenty of teams to deal that pick, too. It's just about finding the right value, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, uh, you're right there. Can't. <laughs> so, you, you said exactly <laughs> the point. Yeah, and then um, uh, a co- the NFL's committee on like you know rule change and things like that. They looked at eighty plays of roughing the passer, found only three questionable. That's huh. such bullshit. I feel like there's always a roughing the passer call where I see it and I'm like, if they didn't call it, nobody would have said anything. Yeah, wasn't it? Um, Tom Brady said there the old man. Even him, didn't he even say that uh, they're doing, they're being softer on quarterbacks now? Yeah. And, and like, I think 
uh, this person that said this was very right, saying that like the big conversation is the sling versus slam. So like slamming a quarterback down is obviously the problem here. When a defender mm-hmm. picks up the quarterback, throws him on the ground, that's a problem. But the sling is more considered a natural progression because, look, if you're if your momentum's going at the quarterback and you're a giant defensive lineman or linebacker, you're just like you can't stop on a dime like that as soon as he releases the ball. Yeah, uh, like I think they forget. Yeah, they're getting more athletic. But when you are six foot four, three hundred and twenty pounds, you're you're a dump truck moving. <laughs> Yeah, there it's really hard to stop that big old body that quickly. There's a reason why an 18 wheeler's got different brakes than your Honda Civic. Yeah. And then uh, some more news. So the the Washington Commanders released Carson Wentz. Uh, definitely makes sense. Uh, they save 26.17 million dollars against the cap by releasing Carson Wentz. So it seems like. This was just a huge overall win for the Commanders. Yeah, that was a great move by them. And then uh, Derek Carr is going to be in Indianapolis during the Combine to meet with several teams as his free agency kind of continues. And look, it's it, it looks like it's going to be a long process for this free agency with Derek Carr. So don't expect you know anything happening too quickly. But look, he's a guy that deserves a good spot he deserves to be on a winning team. Uh, I I know that you know his years in Oakland and Las Vegas haven't been outstanding, but the guy's a a very solid quarterback. Yeah, he's a very solid quarterback who can get you wins and can potentially get you in the playoffs deep into the playoffs if you give him the right team. Yeah. So and, yeah, I think certain teams that they're missing that that one piece, and it most likely you know just. A consistent quarterback. Yeah, that does seem to be the the common thing missing for a lot of teams. Uh, let's talk about this real quick because I thought it was interesting. So quarterback usage is the highest in NFL history. Uh, a record number of designed quarterback runs, record number of QB sneaks, and the second most QB scrambles in league history. Uh, perhaps related to that, is that there was an all-time high 69 starting quarterbacks used this past season because of rotation or injury. Hmm. Uh, so, direct, yeah, direct, the, the direct. effects are obviously showing. Yeah. I mean, quarterbacks, as we know, are soft. They aren't meant to be running backs and run and run the ball, but I also think that's just... Also, how that's how the game is nowadays. Yeah, it's evolving. And scrambling quarterbacks have obviously become the premier uh, guys in the league. Yeah. I mean, that uh, that's just exactly how the game's evolving. And maybe it's gonna we're going to get to the point where you're going to have your starting quarterback, and then you're also going to have a really good backup quarterback because your starter gets injured or whatever. Yeah, I think this puts a ton of value in drafting young guys and just kind of like, you know, later round picks and just letting them become a good backup quarterback. Yeah. And especially now with having 45 games in NFL season, like you got to give these guys a break at some point. Yeah. And uh, I do want to talk about this. This is super interesting. So this guy uh, laid out the most expensive offenses, uh, 
in the last four years in the NFL, and then the bottom five, the least expensive. So, number one, Indy. That obviously hasn't worked out. Dallas <laughs> uh, definitely still hasn't worked out. Green Bay haven't won shit. Tampa won a Super Bowl. They've spent four hundred million on their offense over the last when four years. Yeah, for one Super Bowl. Cleveland sure as shit hasn't worked out. <laughs> Vegas once again hasn't worked out. Tennessee it just seems to be a trend here. The Chargers. The Commanders, and then at number 10, the 49ers, who uh, probably outside of Tampa and maybe Green Bay are the most successful of the bunch. Like, that is interesting how that works. Well, I think that's because they bring in so many different people and they have to sign these big contracts for these guys that only have the potential of changing their team. You know, they think they're going to come do this big thing and they're not. And then they just have all this dead cap, basically. Yeah, it's a matter of, you know, these all these teams, they brought in guys that, like, big money players, but there's still holes all over the field. Yeah. And then the bottom five also haven't worked out. Carolina, Miami, Pittsburgh, Denver, and Baltimore. Yeah. So I, it looks like it's kind of all about finding that middle ground. And I would love to see a, a defensive side of this to see if the defense, uh, you know, if you have Niners number one, it's like, oh, well, of course, that makes sense. They've spent the most on the defense. They're the best. You know, yeah. So I wonder if there's the same for the opposite side of the ball. Yeah, I would be interested to see that. Um, looks like the Eagles are open to trading Quez Watkins. Um, Watkins, obviously, an absolute speed demon. Uh, he ran a 4 uh, he's just kind of struggled. He's been a little bit inconsistent, but still a, a solid wide receiver. So, yeah, I could definitely see him being traded. The Eagles could probably get okay value out of him. Definitely not like top tier wide receiver value, but um, they could probably get a pick or so, maybe a player. Yeah, maybe. And then uh, this was awesome. So, uh, The Rock, obviously. Um, it, Pretty big owner for the XFL, probably like majority owner, right? Yeah, I think he's the uh, big main owner. Yeah, and then uh, so he tweeted about AJ McCarron. Uh, he said AJ takes less money signing with us over the NFL because he wanted his little boys to see him play. Now he's two and zero, led his team to back to back exciting last minute wins. I'd say he's creating more memories for his boys. AJ's decision means a hell of a lot to me personally. And this is fantastic to see. You know, obviously The Rock is just such a big personality, but seeing it come from the owner uh, of the league that A.J. McCarron's playing in and seeing, you know, what it means to A.J. and what it means to, you know, The Rock to see this story unfold. Yeah, and I've said this before. I kind of enjoy Spring League because it's just, you're, you're doing Spring League because you just have a love for the sport. You know, yeah, it, it, these guys aren't doing it for the money. We talked about that last week. Like, it's it, it's a real grind to to get through all of this, and it, it's it's only for the guys, like you said, that really love the game. The guys that want to continue playing this game for the rest of their lives. Yeah, so that that's that's really why I like uh, these spring leagues, and this is a prime example of it. 
Yeah, and it's also just great to see A.J. McCarron doing some great stuff. Obviously, you know, won national titles at Alabama and then never really amounted to anything in the NFL, but, you know, finding a way for him to just continue not just, you know, uh, creating a legacy of his own, but, you know, showing to his sons, you know, what their dad is so has been so good at and what he created a career out of. Yeah. All right, I got a fun little NFL, or not really NFL, but just sports history fact in general. So on the Montreal Expos website, there's a newsletter talking about Patrick Mahomes Sr. being signed on as a pitcher in 2004. Tom Brady was drafted as a catcher for the Expos in 1994. There's a possibility that if Brady focused on the MLB and the Expos never moved, that Mahomes and Brady would have been a pitcher and catcher duo. Huh. Like, that is so crazy. That is crazy. And then uh, some news that's not quite that crazy. Falcons released Marcus Mariota. Brock, how do you feel yeah, about this move? I think everyone saw this coming. Oh, uh, Desmond Ritter had a good... He did pretty good. I th- he did just as good or better than what Mariota did. Mariota still has, like, potential in the NFL, but I don't think he's going to really do too much. Uh, I mean, I think Atlanta right now is really set. Desmond Ritter is, a, I think, a much better choice for a, a quarterback in Atlanta be our kind of transition quarterback. I mean, if you look at Atlanta, all their best players right now are all rookies or young. Yeah, they're they're in a good spot to kind of just continue the – to, to build this young team. And I think that, you know, getting rid of Mariota, especially with all the turmoil that happened at the end of the year uh, with his benching and him getting the surgery and all that, um, I think that it's the best thing right now for the Falcons to move on. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think, again, Mariota, not Mariota, but uh, Ritter stepped up and did a good job. And he will be there until Atlanta gets fixes their defense. Probably this, hopefully the next this next this off season, this draft, next off season, and then hopefully next year. You know, there's a quarterback in the draft we really want. We will trade up for something along those lines. You know. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic way to look at it. And then uh, this is just kind of funny. So Sam Howell. Uh, Washington Commanders quarterback said he's excited to be the starter and QB1 coming into the year. Uh, this news was followed by Ron Rivera, the head coach, saying Sam Howell is not our starter, but he is coming in as QB1. I, I like that by Ron Rivera saying you don't have it unlocked, don't get cocky. Yeah, but also, I, I would love to see Sam Howell be the starter for the Commanders. Oh, I think he will be uh, good as a starter. He, I mean, he had a great college career. I think he has a lot. He's a good quarterback, and I think again, he's going to be a good uh, middle of the road guy. I don't think he's ever going to be the big time star, but I think he's going to be great to be there for now. Yeah, and then let's see. Uh, so Jordan Poyer, uh, the former Bills line or uh, corner. Uh, or maybe he's a safety. I can't remember. I know he plays in the secondary. Uh, he's a free agent. Uh, he said that he'd like to not pay state taxes 
and he also lives in Miami. So looks like he's going to the Dolphins. Mike McDaniel was asked about this situation and said, I'm not in the business of tampering. Uh, We need all the draft picks we can get. Fair enough. (laughs) Which, okay, look, it's pretty obvious. Jordan Poyer is going to go to Miami here. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Okay, so this was an interesting one. So the Giants, uh, they cut Kenny Galladay. Um, and they, they paid Kenny Galladay $40.4 million for two years, okay? Here's a breakdown of his stats per dollar, all right? Per target, he was paid $434,000. Per reception, he was paid $939,000. Per receiving yard, he was paid $67,109. For every first down, he got $1.3 million. For every touchdown, he got $40 million because he didn't get a single one. And the more fun statistic here, per drop, he was paid $8 million. Yeah, I cannot believe that he was just such a total bust. Yeah, it, it, it's so weird because like he was pretty solid before he went to the Giants. Yeah, he, he was. I I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting, and it just kind of goes to prove that you really got to know where you're putting your money because it could really screw you over. Mm-hmm. All right, I do want to talk about this, and then uh, we could probably move on from here. But Russell Wilson, it came out in an, uh, an article from The Athletic. He had a private office space upstairs in the Broncos facility. Just for him and his personal staff. This goes back to, he's just let all this get to his head. Someone needs to go in there and knock him down a few notches. Yeah, and uh, he said to his teammates that there was an open door policy. He's not the coach. Just go to the fucking locker room. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no wonder he had so much. No wonder he had all those issues at the end with Seattle because, like, trying to get the coaches fired. He thinks he's a lot better. He's the owner of the team. No, you're a good quarterback. That's that's all. Yeah, I'd I'd rather my quarterback go on a darkness retreat than have a personal office in the facility. Yeah, same. <laughs> and uh, Sean Payton said about this situation, uh, no one would have complained about Russell Wilson's private office if the Broncos had won. Yeah, but Russell really screwed himself. Yeah, he, he's real good at that. Yeah. Okay, one last thing for the NFL, and then we'll move on. So the Eagles submitted a proposal to the competition committee to add the number zero as a jersey number. And I'm huh. just saying, look, if Jalen Hurts or A.J. Brown are the ones that are going to wear number zero, that would be sick as fuck. I think zero is a fantastic number for college or, or for NFL players. I think uh, AJ Brown's always been one, so I feel like he'll stick. What, what is he right now? Um, I think is he's, he eleven or one. I think he's eleven. I think Devonte Smith's one. Hmm. Well, I, yeah, I could see him going to zero because I mean I know he was always one in high school and then one in college. 
But it would be pretty sick for Jalen Hurts to get quarterback to have number zero. That would be so cool. All right. Well, let's talk. I'm going to talk a little bit about spring training, primarily about the pitch clock. Uh, and then we'll talk. Uh, I don't know. We're going a little bit long. We might skip college baseball this week. But uh, I do want to talk a little bit of spring training. So, yeah, the pitch clock has just captivated baseball fans. Uh, so just a little bit of a timeline here. So Manny Machado was the first batter to get a pitch clock infraction. Uh, he was not ready in the box when the clock hit eight seconds. So that's a batter violation. He gets an automatic strike. Huh. And then uh, I'm sure you saw this one, Brock. The Braves and Red Sox game ended in a tie. Uh, because it's spring training with the bases loaded two outs in a three, two count because of a pitch clock violation by the batter. Yeah. I, I'm not a, I'm not, I've not been a big fan of this pitch clock. Yeah. It, it look, it, it's obnoxious now, but I, I think it's just kind of the getting used to stage. Um, yeah. Because like there's things happening like this, James Karen relief pitcher for the India or the guardians uh, asked for a new ball and the clock was not reset, so it, there was a violation, and that's an automatic ball. Well, and then that's on the umpires. Yeah, and, and then Joe Mantiply, uh did not finish his warm-up pitches in time, so that was a violation on him. And then Brennan Davis was not set in the box on time, and so the bat started at a 1-1 count. <laughs> Now I did see something where um, it it has it sped up the game by it, it's about like forty five minutes or something like it was it, a regular baseball game was like two and a half three hours something and it was down to like two hours and fifteen minutes or something like that. Yeah, I I want to say the jump was like close to three hours down to like two two fifteen or two thirty something like that. Uh, but yeah, it has significantly slowed or uh, sped up the games, but it, it's not speeding up the baseball necessarily. It's speeding up the non-baseball, like the part where nothing's going on is being sped up, which is why I do understand this move. Um, one thing that has been obnoxious, though, is that in a couple of the fields in spring training, you can see the pitch clock in the background. And everybody is pissed off about that. Um, they have assured that you know pitch clocks won't be visible on TV. Uh, they'll be off to the side, out of frame. But it's just so dumb that they would be in frame whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this kind of goes to like the getting used to stage. So when they were first implementing the play clock in the minor leagues, there were nearly two infractions a game for the first two weeks. By week six. There was one infraction every two. Okay, I thought it was ten games. Maybe, maybe just two games. Uh, I thought I'd seen somewhere that it was every ten games. But um, look, I, it's just going to take time to get used to, of course. But I, I personally didn't like it. But then I saw kind of how the game moves, and it doesn't change much. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like it. I, I understand it, but. I almost feel like it should be put in if the game that they have like you reach a certain mark and then it's like okay we're only in the sixth inning and we're an hour and forty five minutes in throw it throw it in you know yeah all, all right. right I could see something like that but 
I, I, I don't mind it. I'm starting to get used to it a little bit. Yeah, and, and I've been trying to watch, like, a lot of these spring training games so I can kind of get a gauge of, like, how the players are reacting to it. And it, it seems like nobody really has a problem with it until there's a violation. They're like, oh, fuck. But yeah, it, it's not really that big of a deal. Um, one last MLB thing I want to hit just because it's absolutely hilarious. So the MLB official Instagram posted something, just said, like, drop your boldest NL Central prediction. And Joey Votto commented, first baseman, possibly a Hall of Famer for the Reds, commented, extraterrestrials arrive on Earth April 15th. The 12 and 2 Reds and the rest of the planet learn from, communicate with, and befriend our alien friends. This process takes about five months. Play resumes in October. Reds sweep the playoffs in our World Series champs. Side note, the aliens ask if I would like to accompany them on their ship back to their planet. I oblige never to be seen again. <laughs> Dude, what Good the answer. fuck? <laughs> Honestly, I think that's hilarious. Like, players should do that more often. Yeah, take, take baseball a little less seriously like Joey Votto. I think that's so funny. Just having a fun time. Yeah. Someone wanted something crazy to be said. And this is something that's kind of getting overlooked here. Could this possibly be Joey Votto saying that he's going to retire at the end of the year? Yeah, maybe that's what he's saying. We'll just have to see. But if it is the case, I think Joey Votto is a Hall of Famer. Um, All right, let's just go ahead and hit stake your claim so we can get out of here. It's... It's 1230. Uh, I'm getting tired. (laughs) I feel that I've been yawning the last little bit. All right. I'm going to go ahead and stake my claim here. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but Bryce Young will not only not go number one overall, there's a chance that he is third or fourth quarterback to get off the board. Look, it, it all comes down to Actually, you know, there's really multiple things. It it comes down to his size, first and foremost. And the way that Anthony Richardson and Will Levis have been viewed throughout this process after the season. Because obviously, as the season wrapped up, it was pretty obvious that, you know, Bryce Young was the consensus number one. CJ Stroud just barely behind him. And now it looks like, Maybe Richardson's the first overall. Maybe C.J. Stroud's the first overall. And it looks like Will Levis is creeping up as well. Maybe not for first overall, but definitely up there. And with so many teams interested in a quarterback this year, there's a chance that Bryce Young just kind of gets pushed to the side a little bit. Yeah, and I think a few of the teams are going to regret that. Yeah, look, I think he can be a fantastic quarterback. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, it, it's it's kind of kind of difficult when a, a team maybe won't give him his fair chance because of his size. Yeah, and we've seen this many times in the NFL before where a lot of players have been passed up because of their size. I mean, look at Mike Hilton, for example. I think he ended up getting picked up like fifth or sixth, maybe seventh round. And now, for the last five years, has been the highest-graded nickelback in the NFL. Yeah, and like we talked about Breeze. Um, I know like a lot of people um, last year with Kenny Pickett, they were kind of out on Pickett because he was a little bit smaller. He had small hands. Like I mean, Joe Burrow's small hands. Yeah, same um, thing. Russell Wilson. 
Yeah. There's plenty of pretty successful quarterbacks in the NFL that didn't quite size up how people would want them to that are still successful. So I'm not saying this to knock Bryce Young. Honestly, I think that him dropping would put him in a better position. But I just, I don't know. I think that the teams that are right there at the top, they need that, you know, guaranteed build. Yeah, I agree. And I think whoever ends up with Bryce Young, honestly, if Bryce Young drops down to Atlanta, I want to see. I I would so be okay with Atlanta picking him up over a defensive player, even though we need de- defensive players desperately. I think that would be a great pickup for us. Yeah, like if he's there, you got to take him. Because we're at the eighth pick. Uh, yes. Yeah. So if he ends up down that low. Hear yeah, me out, Atlanta. I, I don't know. I think the only way that that happens is if the Raiders don't go quarterback. Because let's you know, let's say the Bears don't go quarterback. The Texans, the Colts, they're for sure going quarterback. Maybe like I, I guess there's a scenario where the Raiders still pick a quarterback and it's not Bryce Young, but I don't know. I, I think that it, it's it's going to be tough to get Bryce Young at eight. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, if he's there, I would love for Atlanta to take him. Yeah, 100%. All right, Brock, you got anything for us for Stake Your Claim? I do not. Nothing crazy tonight. All right. Well, we did just see your Ole Miss Rebels losing basketball to Texas A&M. We did. And, and the Louisiana Tech uh, yeah. in baseball. It's been a tough weekend uh, in beginning of the week for Ole Miss, but I'm, sh- hey, I'm sure the baseball team will turn it around. They've got time. We won the series against number 13. Uh, we won the series against the number 13 team in the nation, so that's all that matters in baseball. Hey, Florida State stomped the shit out of TCU this weekend, so I can't be any happier. Yeah. But, hey, time our time will come, and all that matters is if you get hot at the right time. Also, LSU, get fucked. You lost to Iowa 12 to 4. All right. Anything else for the people, Brock? I do not. All right. We're going to get out of here because I kind of want to go to sleep. I felt that. We will see you all next week. Peace. Peace.